0: Welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. We're live. We're live, people. What's up? Mm. Yes. You're up on the stage. The best part about this live podcast is the fact that we're sitting down. Otherwise, Jim Miller would, you know, three of these things are not (laughs) like the other. I don't like hanging out with you guys. The fact that I'm 6'2 and tiny
1: around you is not fair.
0: Have lifts in well,
1: hey, face. my mustache feels the
0: exact same right now. <laughs> Based on like you have Bert, if you have Burt Soren's beard in anywhere close to you, like there's no way. We
2: could tuck it away. Oh, Jeez,
0: go. are you kidding me? Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah,
0: do that. You should do a tutorial on beard tuck storage. It in your shirt. There you go. We're good now. Boom. I don't know. That's like a, what is that? I what do you call A beard now? scarf? It's a beard, it's a beard scarf. Huh. Exactly. No, there's scarf. gotta be a short term for it. Matt, what would you say? It's probably a barf. I said beard <laughs> storage, but yeah, it's a scarf
1: at that point with that, with that length.
0: <laughs> this is awesome. Could also double a uh, face camo. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Hold on. For those of you listening to this podcast, sorry, this is going to be temporarily interrupted by Matt. Come in with your buddy. Cousin, it. to post that. That's great. great. Oh, these are these are three awesome dudes. This is Jim Miller, uh, UFC Hall of Famer. Are Not, you yet? No, you will be. No. You should. be. He said that twice now. I know, yeah. but yeah. the thing is, he's got it's false more. At this point. Do you and Cowboy have the same amount? Yeah, he just caught me. Oh, he just caught yeah, you. Just caught but in I mean, August, you're gonna you're gonna be, you're three gonna three be fighting. Cowboy. Someone who I went to school with, Clay Guida, right. so you will then, will then be on top of Cowboy. Yes, <laughs> yes, I will, and
3: uh, I will have the most fights in UFC history. The most again. fights in UFC history, again. And, again. and, and how many
0: fights is that? Exactly? That'll, that'll be 33. 33 Whoa. fights. In the UFC? In the UFC.
3: Wow. <laughs> yep.
0: Seriously. Wow Ouch Woo. Oh man <laughs> Pay-per-view claps Coming in hot <laughs> If this wasn't a podcast It's a full stadium Thank goodness it is Because people's They'd be ripping their earbuds out right now I know It's loud Yep And uh, so I've got Bert Soren right here Arguably I don't even know how to say it But from a <laughs> No m- idea what's coming up yes. Well from a motivational standpoint For like A pure energy point Some of the events That you guys have put on, just getting people super fired up and motivated to just leave your events as high on life as possible and as motivated as possible, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. It's unreal. Thank you. I looked back and watched um, when Crispy, our buddy Omar, all of our buddies Omar, um, he went to one of your events and what did he deadlift with, with uh, his 675, prosthetic? I believe. Did you see that, Matt? Did you ever see that? Of
1: course, of course. And yeah. Crispy, for people that don't know, is uh, he's burnt over 75% of his body, was in an IED uh, as an infantryman in Iraq, and survived it, and he's one of the most inspirational figures I've ever met, where he makes me feel like a wuss every single day of my life. But Absolutely. he's out there deadlifting 600 pounds more than yep. I can lift with a <laughs> missing leg and skin that's just falling off every day. Yeah. It's yep. impressive.
0: And then obviously Matt down here on the end, which, uh, Hi. how many times have you won the mustache contest?
1: Uh, never.
0: Oh, okay. I'm just this, in it today. Honestly, I've said <laughs> it for a The douchebag award five times. It, I've said it for a long time. This is your year. This is my year for the yeah, mustache. I've All lost right. 20 bucks betting on you four cool. years in a row. And, uh, this <laughs> is your year for sure. I'm excited. Dude, how's your new book coming along?
1: It's coming along well. I mean, it's writ wrote writ, writ writ. I don't even know how to write a book. Obviously, so it's okay. you didn't you know. write it. <laughs> <laughs> that's why there's two other yeah. authors because I wrote it in crayon and it was actually a picture book. And they said that's not how you become a bestseller. So if it was so. European,
0: it'd be great written.
1: Yeah, and uh, in braille as well. So, okay, I like you know. that.
0: Yeah, that's normally how I go. <laughs> All right, where should we start? Anywhere we
1: want. We're we're here for you, Dud. Why? Because you asked us to be here. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear uh, what was your favorite part about the Total Archery Challenge? Matt, you, uh, you slept in, so yep. you, obviously you're going to go last. Perfect. Um, Matt didn't show up. Uh, Jim, you're going to lead off on this.
3: Um, I'm going to – yeah, I'm not going to – Remember, 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 what, he remember yep. what he <laughs> said. Remember what he said. He said, "Don't grab the base." <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, my favorite part was uh, one getting to share, um, you know, the the fun of going through the course with uh, a group of like-minded individuals that that enjoy archery and and uh, are trying to be better archers. You know, um, they're they're demanding it out of themselves to come and do something like this. And and for me, as an East Coaster. Um, Particularly the uh, the upward angle shots are something that I've really never gotten to uh, even train for the most part. Um, so it, that was uh, that was a difficult, a diff- the most difficult part for me, but also the most uh, rewarding and, and fun you know challenge. Yeah, what's
0: super interesting, and I think you'd br- probably be able to key in on this: people that get in the the steady habit of lifting in a very specific manner like guys that just do chest shoulder strides why, why are you this? looking at me you know why <laughs> this you know the same exact movements and then all of a sudden you you say hey let's just move this this bench like one click yeah. and all of a sudden it completely changes everything um that's how it is in archery even for me people said well you've got a lot of reps in however you know In my mind, I think as soon as I go from shooting like this in Iowa to even shooting like this versus shooting like this, those are – it's almost like it's a completely different sport. It's like this is archery 0.0. This is archery 1.1. This is 2.0. This is, you know, level 10. Um, And if you're not doing it every day, your body just is not used to those natural – or I guess – unnatural positions, and it feels like you have no strength, even though overall you're strong.
2: To speak to that, um, one of the pieces that, you know, you haven't asked yet, but one of my favorite parts was when you came over and shot with us, and we were shooting that side angle shot that, uh, I believe it was a a lynx or a bobcat head down, right? (laughs) Did Did you guys... little bit right on that one as well i I missed the bobcat i'm not proud of it i (laughs) I lost that you brought that up you know like so so that was something that i had not known so we were all shooting and, and everyone's grouping was a little bit downhill and you came in and and i was speaking with someone last night about it i was like dudley's so dialed in that it was he walks in assesses what the majority of us are all doing wrong something i've never heard of or read of and you're able to teach us a cup you know, toes down, and then we're going to draw from here, and then let the bubble switch I told you over.
0: Not to have your toes down, but
3: I like how you absorb that. I hit the target, didn't I? <laughs> I? I just need to say that on the bobcat shot, my group we were talking about the effects of Giardia, you know, and Beaver Fever on the body. So,
2: <laughs> so that's, that's why a I totally missed. different experience. That's why I missed because my nice. head
3: wasn't in the game.
2: But when you started putting together actual teaching cues of where the bubble was, and, and I had never thought of all of that with the hand positioning different pressure positions. And then for everything to just drift right over, left, uphill, that was that was super cool for me because not only I was getting to shoot with a lot of great people that know how to shoot, but to see an expert, not only archer, but teacher, that was that was probably the highlight of my day because it just opens up. There's so many things I have no idea about. Your dad
0: is like a superstar, right, in powerlifting world? He's
2: a pretty strong guy.
0: I mean, for as many times as I've deadlifted in my own garage which i feel like i'm doing it right i'd probably do it in front of him and he'd just be like "Mm." there's just
2: always his little cues
0: right and then he would just make this smallest little assessment to where you're like wait a minute i can be that much more efficient just because of this little 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 thing and i think that's what makes honestly we're here at an archery tournament i love the fact that i can teach here but I just love it when you're around people that are just experts in their craft where they find these little bitty teeny nuggets that just make you see a difference in your ability without really having to do a whole lot more. I mean, I think that's what's so awesome about podcasts, what's so awesome about YouTube, what's so awesome about social media is that people like that are able to give this little nugget and help Millions of people instantaneously.
1: Absolutely, it's the information age, man. That's what's great about. It. You can share knowledge. You know.
0: So Matt, tomorrow you and <laughs> I, we're teams.
1: We're going to beat up Evan Hafer. Yep. That's all I care about. I don't care who partners. V2. Yep. Two v two. Yeah, two v two charity challenge. We do that at Black Rifle Coffee a lot, and we're going to go head to head to raise some money for charity. I'm excited.
0: Who are we going to donate to? We each get to, I guess, each team gets to pick. And I said for sure Matt is going to, Matt's going to pick where this goes to. So where are you going?
1: Uh, I would say the boot campaign. I work with them directly. They're an amazing organization. And uh, I've seen them help my friends and get them through some big health issues. So I'd love to support them. I'm not Tell sure me what Evan's going to go it because I don't that?
0: know. I actually want to know. Tell me.
1: Yeah, they do a thing called the Reboot P- Program, which is what I'm really, what I love about them. They do a full blood analysis and uh, brain treatment. And they actually treat the individual because so, so often with veterans, it's that blanket statement of PTSD. And But what is that? What is the individual? You can't treat symptoms, you have to treat what is actually going on with the individual. And so they do a full assessment of them and then they treat exactly what's wrong for that cause. And uh, you see an insanely high success rate. And then operationally speaking, pretty much 90% of the money they get goes directly to the cause, which is nice. So all around great organization.
0: One of the things that I've really, I don't know, I've just 100% changed directions of my sales to go in the direction of seeing what... This type of thing, archery and then bow hunting for the first time, what that does for guys that are coming out of the military that are dealing with issues like that. And I think a lot of it is just trying to reacclimate into things. It's funny you say
1: that because if you look at the panel up here, you have archery, you have MMA, and then you have weightlifting. Which is actually beard growing, growing. growing, obviously. Those are three amazing things that people do in sparse transition to create that support system and that kind of ecosystem that they had back in the military. And and that's a lot of part of the transitional thing that people deal with. So it's nice to see guys that get in the gym or doing jujitsu, going out and shooting, or just lifting heavy heavy stuff.
0: Truthfully, beard growing is part of that. Like most co- people yeah, get I mean, out you just can and they're just used sit on the
1: couch. That's all he did was they're sit on the couch look, and yeah. take beard hormones. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know is that a, is our PEDs part of that? I'm not sure. Yeah, what is that? Beard tested. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Is that like HBG Human Beard Growth? Oh. Ooh. Dot com. <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> it's already gone. Yeah. Like as it's soon already. as this is said, someone's it's already so stole that. You could buy it back for ten grand though. <laughs> yeah. No, but I feel like. Um, well, Evan's partner tomorrow is Brian Chantosh, yep. um, and honestly, I did at Brian's first bow hunt with him this past. I think it was. I don't even know when it was. I think it was February, but uh, to see like this, there's just this. There's this. This I can't even say it's a look, but it's like an excitement that's in their face to where. There's too many military guys where I've taken on their first hunt or taught them to shoot a bow and then said, Hey, come hunt with me. And they want to have their gear load out. They want to know how many arrows do I shoot per day? They want to know what's the logistics or what we go? What do we need to pack for camp? And then they go and they make mistakes and it's, you know, they don't get a shot or they blow a shot. So it's mission fail. So then they have to like recalibrate. And you just see this whole new thing, trip. And i it's hard for me to explain it because I don't want say it, to say it's like a look in their eye, but it's something to where I 100% feel like this is a very, very important thing that we could do for military people that are coming back, they're dealing with stuff. It's like what's happening up on this mountain right now, this could possibly be a huge missing link to making... Everything better for these guys that are sacrificing for us. Am I right in saying that, Matt?
1: Yeah, I assume. I mean, I think just in general, the sport of archery is amazing across the board. I mean, you think about conservationalism, you think about just getting out in the outdoors, experiencing life, you know, learning a new skill set and then, you know, gauging that against guys that are epic in the sport. I mean, I shoot bows with all you guys. I look like a complete idiot, right? But it's fun because now I can actually try to get better at a, a craft or a skill set and it's very enjoyable. So, I mean, I think just archery as a whole is, is, is awesome and I'm so new to the sport and yeah, it's great for me.
0: You better not act new tomorrow. we got to dominate. Oh,
1: we'll dominate. Okay. I have out- shoot Evan all the time. I don't know where he is, but that's yeah. fine. He's is, up on is the, it,
0: he went out on the hill, dude.
1: Oh, he's practicing yeah, right now. Yeah,
0: he, he went up with Todd. They you're went talking. up together. Meanwhile, you and I are down here like... Obviously.
1: But that's okay when we get the W tomorrow, we're we'll like yeah. while you were practicing, we were we were t- burning
0: yourself out just,
1: you know, spitting word vomit into a microphone.
0: Exactly. And hey, by the way, anyone in the crowd, if you come up and grab that catch box right there, you can ask questions to anybody up here. Dr. No Andy, catch? didn't you have a question? Andy, Andy, do you have a yep. question? But yeah, for sure come up. Cole.
1: I want to say something about you, Dud, which is, I don't don't think Jim or um, Bert know. We went to Texas and we shot pistols. And, And I'm not saying this because you're a friend or we're here, but you are the best pistol shot I have ever seen in my entire life when you picked up a gun for the first time. It was exceptional. He was hitting a pie plate at 50 meters consistently. And it was funny because we kind of drew the, the, the parallels between archery and your front pin and the front sight post and the similarities because when you were teaching me, I'm like, it's kind of like you know the association with my rear sight post, front sight post, getting the target a little out of focus, but ensuring that I drop it and fall through in the shot. And you applied all of those without with a little instruction from Evan, and we're just zing in those rounds. So it was really cool to see kind of the parallels between target pistol shooting and archery.
0: Yeah, I love. I actually love that because what's hardest for me is when someone comes from a different sport, and then when they come into archery, I really learn best myself when I kind of tell a story and give some type of a, an example to where you know I can try to parallel the two. So years and years ago, even though I'm not, I'm not really a recurve archery person. I don't truly enjoy it. I love compound archery, but. I made it a point for one year to just do recurve archery because I wanted to be able to tell people that were recurve shooters prior. I wanted to be able to like almost have some type of a crossover association to where I could say, you know with a recurve when you do this, with a compound it's just like that, only blah, blah, blah. So for me to learn rifles, handguns, I think it's so important because I'm super passionate about bringing more military guys into the archery and bow hunting world because I feel like it's healthy for them. But I also feel like there's small little times where I'm looking for a word association to, com- to compare the two. and. Sweet. We'll
1: send you to ranger school so you can learn all the terminology. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'm not, I already it's went through it,
1: so I don't have to go yeah. through it. But, uh, or Buds. We'll get Andy to send you through Buds.
0: Andy said the only reason you did ranger school is because you didn't pass Buds. Is that right?
1: Right. Well, they said that I didn't have enough hair gel, so I couldn't be a Navy SEAL, so I joined the Army. (laughs) Andy, You can only be so good, and that's okay, you know? But I wrote a book, so I'm pretty much a Navy SEAL now.
0: (laughs) Well, Andy read a book once, so I think he's one better. Yeah, (laughs) this will never end between you two. It's perfect. Bert? Did you feel like as much as you're into the fitness side of things? Because you have a really cool range that you set up at your at your house where it's it's very physical fitness revolved around archery. I don't know. It's almost more fitness related than archery related. I feel like with your course that you set up. Yeah, and and
2: it depends on with with our course. It's about a 1.7 miles without picking up your arrows. Uh, it has eight exercise iterations along throughout the woods and some things like that so what i'm attempting to do because i live at sea level is have some sort of stress induction um if i'm going to go on mountain hunts at, at elevation i have to not just do flat flatland training so there are days that we walk the course and it's very closed skill archery um it's kind of more of a technique day because i come yeah. from the sporting world yeah So, I was a hammer thrower, um, hammer thrower, and a professional Highland Games athlete. So, I I was throwing things. So, basically, it was always. Jim is, too,
0: by the way. He's a hammer. He's a hammer brother, (laughs) brother. What do you throw
1: the hammer into?
0: The field. So or it's just distance, yeah. So it's like just, a just shot put. put, yeah. Various a shot
2: put on a on a three foot wire. Oh. So, Old but what shit. it is, much like archery, it's a closed skill, meaning you want to replicate the same skill over and over and over again. Right. Versus an open skill, which might be like being a running back. You have very, vari- very mixed that martial arts. Or mixed martial arts. So open skill, closed skill, right? So some days we want a very closed skill, so you could dial into technique and things like that. But then, so that's our technique days, and then we'll come back. And I just take the, the framework from the training side of it as I did for Olympic hammer throw. And so there's technique days and there's other days that are stress induction days and there's de- days that are competition days. And so um, for me, I don't like doing a lot of cardio because I came from the world of power production sports. So I have to trick myself in doing it. And I know if I place 3D targets far enough apart and I have to don't have a lot of time that I'll run to get to them, and if I pass a barbell that's laying in the middle of the woods, I'm going to lift it because I'm that's in my genes. And so I'm <laughs> so I trick myself into doing that. So that's kind of how our course is set up. But I liked what you had said before about some different ideas about target panic and making sure that you're not punching the trigger, and so. You know, some of the things we're doing from a stress induction side, I have to make sure that I could return it back to a closed skill that is replicatable every time to get a desired
0: result. Yeah, because one of the things I said to you was, I like the fact that you're doing stress induction, but what you don't want to do, um, and I I come across this a lot at events like this, people will come up and say, hey, we're doing this thing, we're, we run here, we sprint here, we shoot this, you have to shoot one, two, three, four, and then you have to do this. And I tell them, that's all great, but I'm not – there's nothing you're going to do here that's going to make me rush my shot to where the years and years and years I've spent trying to not have target anxiety to where I'm going to induce that because of a time clock or because, you know, of a paycheck, so to speak. So I feel like there's a big importance that people should do on these stress-induced-type activities to where there's almost – A deduction if you make a poor shot. Like you want speed, but at the same time, you know, even with what I was doing when Matt Matt was working with me with an AR and we were working on I was totally comfortable shooting an AR stationary, but Matt was talking about shooting an AR as we're moving. And I still to this day I'm thinking about, you know, you were telling me how I you're like you're moving kind of robotronic. Right. You want to move with flow. And I don't know how many days I've woke up thinking, like, how do I move with, like, I felt like I was flowing but I, I was obviously robotronic but
1: i think everybody would agree that in a sport capacity right you take the comfortable route often where you're going to train from that stationary perspective because your your results are result oriented. so you're like bing hit the target woo, i'm great but then you have to be stress induced like you're talking about with weightlifting. i'm sure mma is the same way where totally. under stress you react you react completely different like Watch me hit a, a heavy bag. I look like I'm a pro fighter. Put me in a ring with Jim. I'm going to look like a six-year-old in an elementary school when parking lot. Happen?
3: When will this happen? <laughs> and,
1: uh, no, I'm good. I don't want TV. We can I've got do plenty. something
3: on the stage right now. Hey. Oh, crowds. is. Let's do it.
1: <laughs> but I think that's across, across the board, right? So when you start. People that shoot often or archery stationary, and then they they can implement the AR platform at, you know, let's say 50 meters or hitting that plate. Let's start moving. Let's start doing what you're actually going to do operationally. And operationally, I mean, that's either whether you're fighting or you're out trying to kill an elk or you're just target shooting with a high, high heartbeat, whatever the case is. But it's that whole stupid term, train how you fight. But I think people often don't do that because... They want to be results oriented it's easier just to be comfortable so you got to actually kind of suck at things to get better at it yeah, and that's just checking your agree.
0: ego that's one of the most consistent things rogan says like a lot of people listen to joe rogan he constantly says like you have to do something you're not good at to get better at it 100% but with all the tr- like with that course that you're doing that's way more intuitive than what i'm what i'm doing practicing in my yard but with all that that you're doing, did you go up on this mountain and you still felt like you hurt in certain areas?
2: Yeah, it's certainly the altitude. I, mean, I live at 250 feet, so there's no getting away from out of the altitude. Now, the, once I got into position, I was able to regulate my breathing pretty quickly and, and click back in. Um, from, from, again, my hammer-throwing days, it's kind of scientifically shown that most athletes fall to 80% technical proficiency under stress. So the better athletes are the ones that keep the highest percentage of that. Of that. Yeah, for sure. Right, and you obviously know that. So part of that inducing the stress is can I, can I just bump that technical proficiency up, whether it's a mindset, if I'm able to, to diaphragmatic breathe, pull myself back in and re-click back in from going from running with a sandbag or whatever to and then just lock right back into the tunnel of where I am with the bow, even if that's only for one minute.
0: What's the best way that you were taught to do that? Are you talking about a conscious reset? Yeah, conscious reset. From a performance anxiety standpoint? Yeah. Okay, so tell me, what's your pattern for that? I've had several. Yeah, I'd love to hear yours as well. I had two. From a hunting standpoint, um, I always carried this this, uh, buckeye acorn. For years, I had one in my mm-hmm. in my right pocket. So of my, like
2: Inception, so you knew it was reality. <laughs> kind <laughs> of. I, it. of yeah.
0: <laughs> I had a I had a really big buckeye acorn that I had in my right pocket of my hunting pants, and when like a buck would come into a food plot that, and I could tell, I'd start to get like buck fever. I would count. I would start spinning it in my pocket, and I would just start counting how many times I felt like the eye part of the buckeye. And I would just focus on like one, two, three, four, and I would just do it until all of a sudden I realized like I was back down to stable. That's wonderful idea. Um, so from an from an archery standpoint, one of the reasons I always loved a two finger release is when I would feel that fight or flight trigger, and I would be in a situation where I felt like my heartbeat all of a sudden had control on my performance. I would start, you know, I would start spinning it. Okay. And so I would do the same thing. So for me, like, revolutions were always a pretty easy reset, way more than, like, focusing on breathing. Because I felt like f- if I focused on breathing, my ADD would take over and be like, okay, you're breathing funny because you're psyched up. Why am I psyched up? Oh, breathing. yeah, that big book's out there. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if I kind of just spun that release on my finger, I could, like, think about it enough times so where all of a sudden I realized I'm good now. I can make this shot. Interesting. Uh,
2: In my competition days, um, because, again, throwing was such a a kind of a hyper-violent sport, you would try to really get very high into the sympathetic, or at least that's what I thought early on. Sympathetic being the fight or flight, parasympathetic, kind of down-regulated. And so everything in my younger days was harder, faster, more aggressive, kind of like a deadlift. You lock into it, just get super pissed off, try to crush the ground below you, and the bar comes up. That's kind of the, the gig. Um, but what I found with a technical sport like hammer throw, that doesn't work at a certain level. It works at the because national level because you have level. a lot
0: more technique involved.
2: Tons of technique. There's timing. There's there's everything that works. So to get good, you could be super freak out mode. To get great Olympic, you have to <laughs> you have to kind of dial that back, right? Yeah. So because for me, it's
0: kind of like honestly, what you're talking about is very similar to what was bugging me about what Matt was trying to teach me. Matt was twi- trying to teach me like. Slow and smooth is fast. Right. Whereas I was almost trying to be so slow and smooth that he told me I'm like robotic. So you're actually you're not being, you know, I, in a flow state. Yeah, because he's like, you're. You look like I, don't, I can't even say what I look like. You might be able to remember. It Wasn't that bad.
3: It was just it terrible. Felt, <laughs> just <kidding. laughs> Lay it on thick, just man. Kidding, man. It'll <laughs> make me sweat it more, and I'll, I'll get better
0: at it if you if you tell me the truth. But um, yeah, I feel like. I've always said the best archers in the world are the ones that when I saw pictures of them on the cover of magazines, it, it looked like they weren't really holding a real bow back. Yeah, it looked like they had this bow that had bent limbs, but they were really just like posing with the string, like for a photo shoot, because they looked so cool.
2: That they was almost my cue. Cool. It was sleepy. Yeah, that is was that the same? Yeah, when when I finally learned to throw far, I was it was at a national championship and I basically got so jacked up that I fouled my first two throws. I'm thinking I'm going to walk out with a big X out of nationals. And I, for the first time, I leaned up against a wall and I just closed my eyes and I was just like sleepy. And I, my posture went from this to... And I just melted. And I opened my eyes and I just walked in the thing, boom, smoked one. Yeah. But then it was like, oh, that's what it is. It's not super freak out mode. It's sleepy. It's, it's rag doll. And so... For me, buck walks out, I'm just, just shut it down and kind of forget where I am. And same thing I was doing on the mountain to, because of course, heart rates up, guys are shooting, you know, you're up next, you're sitting there, cameras are around, you're like 94 yards, I got to make this shot. And it's like, whoa, 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 hold on. Turn it back down, sleepy, pull the
3: bow back.
1: I think that's like M- MMA 101, huh, Jim? Right. Yeah, I was going to ask <laughs> it's that. It's like so similar. I mean, the,
3: the, the thing of it with, with fighting is that you don't... You have those opportunities to pull yourself back in before the fight and in between rounds. But so, you have a
2: guy punching you.
3: Well, exactly. <laughs> you know, so, so you get sleepy enough, right? <laughs> uh, but like in the, in the fight, it is kind of... But that's where I found that I fight the best is that, you know, it's... It's not me necessarily thinking about the technique. It's me just kind of like taking my mind out of it. And I I don't even know how to really describe it. It's just, it's kind of like you said, it's almost that sleepy mode, but, uh, but focused, you know, like when I fight, I I don't see outside of the, the octagon. Uh, until, like, right after I beat somebody or something like that, or after the fight. I mean, that's then when you I'm, look for me. That's, and yeah, you're that's like, when I saw I
0: want to go hunting, yeah, Deadly.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's when I saw his big ass outside the, <laughs> the octagon and I yelled at him. How did you even see me? You were sitting behind Rogan. It's like, here's this giants. And uh, you're nine feet <laughs> tall. I, I watched all your videos, bro. I was fanboying it. So, for me, it's like I, I focus on technique, and it can be, uh, you know, some people have a, have a difficulty. Really breaking down their technique and like doing the boring stuff, focusing on okay well, this is you know for me, shadow boxing and bag work has completely changed the way that i that I strike um, you know and when when I drill on the ground, I can be having a conversation, my mind could be kind of off, but you know grappling something i 've done since I could walk so I'm still focused on what it feels like to get those solid reps in. And I'm trying to make every rep feel the same so that when I do take my mind out of it, or my opponent potentially takes my mind out of it a little bit, um, my body can still do what it needs to do. Um, you know, like during, during the shooting, I, I, was, I was on a couple of the ones where we're going up, you know, uh, going up some of those steep uphills and you're, you're breathing heavy. I tried to like jump into the front of the line and get that shot in while my heart was still racing and try to, like, really just focus on, like, you what? know, get, get the mind out of it and, and just, you know, let myself kind of flow through the shot. But then again, when we were shooting that dang gorilla at the end, I was, uh, I, I, I overthought it and I got out of the zone. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> that seems like a terrible strategy. <laughs> I, I was, it was a learning experience. But I want to be shaking and my heart rate high. Yeah, like, man, like, like, I, I was, it works, it works. I was pushing myself. I okay. so, like it
0: when I competed the one advantage I felt like I had was I was always as adamant about physical training as I was about actually training by shooting my bow. And a lot of people, including a lot of top um, international coaches said, I remember the first time they saw me, they said this archer's way too bulky to be good because they said, you know, it, it, He's not going to be able to follow through properly, blah, blah, blah. But then when we would get on courses like this, I would wait for these days because I'm like, right now, because, okay, just to backtrack, step one of my shot process is what, Jim? Get your heart rate down. (laughs) (laughs) No, what is it?
3: (laughs) Your foot placement.
0: Okay, stance. So what I tell people is I say, okay, the first thing you want to do is look down at your feet. Where is your foot position, right? So then what I do is, especially when I'm in these long um, seminars where I go to countries for an extended period of time, I'll say, okay, if you look down at your feet and you can't tell me where they are, tomorrow we're talking about nutrition and we're talking about the physical fitness because the reality is, there's a lot of archers out there at the time that I was competing against. They couldn't look down and see their feet, they saw their belly. So, in courses like this, when there were, there were rules where as soon as the first archer touches the stake, the time, the clock starts. And on some competitions, there were timekeepers to make sure that, that the course flowed evenly. As soon as the first archer touches the stake, he has exactly 120 seconds to make his shot and then with it and immediately the next archer must take the stake and then has 120 uh, seconds. So I would be peer grouped at times with people where I'm looking at, i thinking, I'm getting ready to smoke this sucker. And so when I knew that my next target I was lead off man, I would kick it in gear and I would just ramp it up. Like, for example, on that ram, I would push myself to the ability. And then as soon as I got to that stake, I would stand off the stake. And a lot of times I would just hold my wrists and I'd wait till my heartbeat hit 60 and I'd take the stake and I'd just get that shot off quick and then just step off. And it's like time starts. And I'd look at these guys that were 50 pounds overweight. and I'm like, here we go give me two points. You're going to give me two points. Next guy, get up. Um, yeah. and I felt this like of sounds mean. Yeah. Just kidding. yeah. Well, I mean
2: competition, you got to yeah, do what's right, it, man. It
0: is. But honestly, that's an important thing because in a hunting situation, if you did what Jim did, which was, you know, get up there and try to like Come completely on. be falling apart and make my shot. I, you know what? I made those shots though. Well, because I took my mind out of it. You're a professional athlete. You're training at so you got to get a fight in two like, weeks. So I, you're train That was training. It was training. Okay. Was, you know, trying to perform last under last, duress. Last time you were in training for a fight, you and I were in BC bear hunting together. No, no,
3: no. We Wait, were, we, we were, were hot. Oh, that's hunting. right. Yeah. It was hog hunting. Yeah.
0: We cooked some amazing food, and he's trying to make we weight. Did. Couldn't eat any of it. Porsche oh. Porsche
3: control. Oh. All right. I ate a little bit.
0: You drank beer. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> you're giving away you're really, you're my image <laughs> so you're
1: giving away these I think it's awesome
0: well alright I don't know how much time we got we're getting fairly close I want to go through most memorable hunts each one of you Jim what is it
3: you put me on the spot um, I don't uh, probably uh, last year I had the opportunity to uh, go on my first elk hunt uh, you know, over-the-counter in Colorado. And, uh, you know, we, we've gone on some cool hunts, going to BC and the hogs. And, you know, I found a whitetail in the east um, in a couple different places. But uh, being able to come out into the, into the west and just be up in the mountains, it was uh, it was amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm addicted. <laughs> I've been dreaming about going back and coming back out, you know, this way and, and hunting elk again. It has to happen.
0: One thing I will say is everyone out here at this shoot, you're you're so fortunate. One, we're fortunate to be able to do this sort of thing in a place like this, but to be able to have the opportunity to, you know, this is preparation. This is, like, realistic game day preparation. Um, the way some of these courses were set up, don't take that for granted. Like, supporting, supporting organizations or – people that are putting on shoots like the total archer challenge like you don't want to not support that because i don't have this where i'm from like i come here from iowa people say you know why do you why do you come all the way it's like because this is super super cool this preps me for something that i'm going to be doing in 60 days you know so don't take it for granted super critical burt yeah, I would say probably one of my most memorable hunts was
2: 3 years ago my second elk hunt. Um we were out <clears throat> it was rifle season but they have a overlapping bow season in uh, Montana. And we'd hunted for a few days all through the mountains and and got close on a couple but but didn't uh didn't score and then my last day we found this big herd down in this uh, alfalfa pasture, this monstrous alfalfa pasture. Talked to the landowner, he said, "Yeah, sure, go out there, but it's bow only." And I didn't bring my bow. And one of the guys at camp said, "Well, my dad's about your size; you could borrow his bow if you want." I'm like, "Sure." So I shot it once at 20, once at 40. I'm like, "Good enough, let's roll." And uh, so they dropped me off on one end of the pasture, and I was with some some guys of Marine Scout Snipers. And uh, I said, "Well, why doesn't anyone go and hunt those those elk?" They're like, "No one could get to them because it's about eight inches of alfalfa." for like a 1,000 yards. And they said, well, if you skull drag, you could do it. And I didn't realize they were screwing with me. They were just like, yeah. So they sat up on a hill about a mile away and just watched this idiocy transpire (laughs) (laughs) of me just pulling myself across this pasture for like four hours. And I would lay on the ground and I would... I would uh, look at Google Earth, where I was, and I would screenshot it, and I would text it to them, and they'd tell me. They'd go, okay, 800 yards north. And I'd look because I couldn't come up above the alfalfa. And I'd just look, and I'd just keep crawling. And they're thinking, this guy's an idiot, right? They were, like, just doing it to give me to keep me entertained for the last day. And uh, I ended up slipping and dropping down into a creek, making up a little bit of a space on them. And all of a sudden, the elk start coming down and close the gap, and I shot my first by 5 bull at 60 yards and uh he dropped well he started running hit him far back cut the femoral artery he drops I get a text from my buddy he goes shoot the one sitting down I was like I did and uh killed my first elk and uh
0: so sometimes it works out well (laughs) that's awesome I've got a pretty funny story about that you're talking about pivots um the last time I hunted Idaho we came out and we were hunting on some public property and so Every time we'd come out, we'd come out about every two or three days to get a meal down at this local cafe. We'd come out of the mountains, and, and every time we drove by, there was this huge bull and these ten cows bedded down right under this pivot. So every, every day they were there. And meanwhile, we're up. You know, it was right when the wolves first started moving into Idaho. We weren't seeing anything. I was seeing more wolves than elk. And uh, this gal that was waiting on us at the, the little cafe, I said, hey, do you know this ranch? It's, like, right down here and blah, blah, blah. I said, do you know who owns that? And she said, yeah, yeah, it's, it's such and such. You know, here's where his real house is. So me and my buddy went by there, and as we pull up, there's three semis, like, backed up in this huge herd of cows coming down off the mountain. There's cowboys wrangling them up. And they're bringing them in. Well, you know, my family used to have a a big ranch. So I'm like, okay, here's my chance. I'm going to jump in here, help them get these cows loaded in these semis. They were bringing them out for the fall. So I thought, I'm going to do this. This is like the perfect segue. So I pull up, and, you know, this old time cowboy's on this horse. And I said, I said, you need to get, you need help getting these cows in here. And he goes, Oh, man, that'd be great. So he goes, there's a hot shot over there. So I get in there, and they're rallying them up, and I'm stuffing these calves in this, in this trailer. And then that trailer shuts, and we're ramming more. in the next one, we get to the third one. And by the third one, we got, actually, my buddy took a, a hoof. He, was, he got too close and took a hoof right to the chest. It almost stopped Ouch. his heart. <laughs> Ouch, yeah. So <clears throat> this is like four hours of these three semis. So we get them all in there, close the last door, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, two guys, four hours free labor, like these are all ready ahead. to close the yeah, deal. Yeah, this yep, yep. So the semi kind of pulls off to the side and he comes up and he's like, Thanks so much for that help, boys. Appreciate it a lot. And I said, Yeah, yeah. And he goes, Suppose you're here for that bull out there and that that pivot of mine, and I go, Yes, sir. I've I've seen that bull out there, and um, you know I heard it was in one of your alfalfa pivots. You know, do you would you let a couple young guys go out there and just try at this with a bow? And he goes, "Sorry, guys, I've already sold that bull to a rifle hunter." He said, but. Uh, there's some pretty good bulls up in the public land. And I thought, dude, you knew. As yeah. soon as I yeah. walked up here. Like you could have said he hey. Got you that four yeah, hours of free yeah. labor. <laughs> Total businessman. Awesome. I still remember that story. <laughs> All right, Matt. Totally what's yours? Option.
1: Mine, uh well, you know I'm new to bow hunting. I would say uh my, I took my wife out and she was able to, to shoot an oryx and we were on my buddy's uh, huge land in Texas and it was just fun. The shared experience of harvesting an animal with your, your wife and kind of walking her the first time through the process of quartering an animal and pulling the back straps off. It was, it was a super enjoyable moment. She's all giddy the whole entire time. So I chalked that up to my favorite experience because she was so nervous, shot off my shoulder. Yes, it was a rifle, but you know, hey, it was a good time.
0: Yeah, people ask, someone asked me that today. They're like, what's your most memorable Honestly, my most memorable hunts aren't mine. It's you know my wife Sharon's. We well, see the um, excitement
1: in someone new. It's so fun when they it's just get way amped.
0: better. It really, yeah. really is. Um, my son Harry. You know, one of the things that I'm thankful about about uh, being part of, I guess, hunting TV, is just a lot of uh, a lot of my family's first hunting memories we have documented on. So I mean, to be able to show our grandkids Harry shooting his first cool. his first uh, you know his first animal with a bow, which was an alligator, um, and that came because I took him I took Harry and all of his friends to hunter safety. You know, Sharon and I were talking about you know we were kind of worried about Harry's friends and you know guns and all that stuff. So I said the best thing we can do is you know not just take Harry to Hunter Safety. We need to take all of his friends where he's going to be there. If they're all responsible, then that's when he's going to be the it's most great safe. great idea. So we took all of Harry's friends to a, to, to a Hunter Safety weekend, and we went through the class with him and all of his friends. And on the last day, we were on the way to the class, and we had these books that had, like, kind of ethical... Shot placements of all these different animals. So I kind of said, like, all right, guys, you know, take a look at where the shots are and so forth. And I said, you know, if you guys could shoot one animal, what would it be? And, you know, one said, you know, was looking through the book and said some animal. And then, you know, obviously kids being kids, they continually tried to one up each other. So by the time I got to Harry and said, hey, what do you want for your first animal? Um, because I think his buddy before that said a sable and I'm like, okay, well, those are 30 grand. (laughs) So, uh, no, (laughs) not happening. Uh, so I said, all right, Harry, what, what do you want your first to be? And he goes, dinosaur, like he's trying to one up it. So I thought, I go, we can make that happen, dude. An alligator technically is a dinosaur. So, uh, my son, you know, got that, got that. Awesome bow hunt with, you know, shooting an alligator with the tension release, alligator coming out of the water to a call, you know, perfect shot right behind the shoulder with the tension activator release. Like, I'll never forget that. That's and I'll, I'll never forget uh, Sharon hunted. Do you remember how many hours you hunted for your first whitetail buck? 700. 700 hours.
1: I thought she said seven. I'm like, that's no. not that bad. <laughs>
0: no, it was 700 hours Jeez. we put, and she shot her first. And what's funny is we called the buck half rack because the year before we were probably somewhere in the 600 hour ranges of you know sitting in trees together. And she was shooting low poundage. So it's not that we weren't having opportunities. It's we weren't having opportunities at 25 yards or less the animal in a stationary position, her being able to be super comfortable with where do I aim, we know the yardage, we're able to set the sight because she was shooting 40 pounds, shooting pretty slow setup. We, you know, We were trying to be ethical with this decision. So there was this buck that kept coming around the stand this one morning when I was hunting during the rut and I called her and I said, this buck has been by the stand like five times. I said, just get in here, you'll be able to slip in. And I said, you're gonna get your first whitetail. So she comes in and gets up in the tree, and I'm like, he's been by here like five times with his doe. I'm like, just wait. He's, he, you know, they just keep running circles around this pond. He's gonna come by, and all of a sudden, here comes the doe. and I'm like, get ready, get ready, pull back, pull back. He pops out, and he's only got half of his rack. <laughs> and she's like, and so she looks at him. She goes, I don't know if I want my first buck after all this to only have half a rack. And so I said, it's up to you. So she passed. Well, the next year. We put in maybe another close to 80, 90 hours. And then finally, the last day before gun season, this buck came out, but he was a year older. So that's why we called him Half-Rack. And, you know, she shoots this mid-160-inch buck 800 hours in. And it's like, how can you not remember that? Way more than anything you've ever done yourself. You know what I mean? Well, now I feel selfish. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Super selfish. (laughs) I don't know anyone, so are we out of
0: time? <laughs> Five minutes? Oh, awesome! All right, and what well, I was going to say in my next uh, my next hunt that I feel like is the next most memorable is uh, last year I was hunting elk with uh, Andy, our buddy Andy Stump, mm-hmm. and we were hunting and we talked about this on the last podcast. I had told Andy, "Hey, dude, this year I real like, you know, I've kind of like." put you first every time we've gone. I'm going to, I need to get a bull. I'm going to go out. I'm going to, I'm going first. You know, I said, you can go on your own, whatever. And he ended up coming uh, to me on the second day. He goes, you know what? He's like, I'm having way more fun when I hunt with you. I don't care if I don't get a bull. He's like, I'll just tag along with you guys. So we went out and finally, I think at that point, Andy and I had put Maybe 150 miles on the ground on our GPSs before this would have been our first opportunity to elk because we had started, uh, you know, maybe two weeks earlier than that. So we, yeah, we were well over 100 miles each on on hoof. Um, so we call this bull answers. I call one more time. He answers. He's half. I mean, within a few seconds, he's the distance is half. So I'm like, he's coming. I looked at the camera guy. I'm like. This is on, and I start to pull back, and by then the bull's already running over this hill. He's just coming in, and as I'm at full, as I'm at full draw and like kind of looking back to my camera guy to see if, if he's filming and everything, as I look over to my camera guy, I can see Andy, and I can see that he's excited, but immediately I thought, like, this bull, I know this bull would mean more to him, you know, it's not like it was a, a bull bigger than anything I'd ever shot in my whole life. It was a great bull. And then I thought, it's 9-11. Like, in my mind, I thought, holy crap, it's 9-11. And I knew that 9-11 changed Andy's life, like, 100%. So as I'm at full draw, I can see Andy, and I look over at him. I go, do you know it's 9 And he's like, F, yeah, I know it's 9 And I said, this bull's got your name on it. Take him, and he pulled back and smokes this bull. And it's like I'll never forget those three hunts. It's America. Like it, it, yeah, it, <laughs> it it means way more than anything I've ever shot myself. Like by far. That's badass. Yeah. It's all about, buddy. All right, dudes. Let's Drink. cheers up. Cheers. Oh, oh. Cheers. Hey. Empty. Water There's bottles. water in here too. <laughs> cheers. All right, everybody knock on see you guys be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing knockonarchery.com